You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, welcome to the Banners Broadcast. It's Bobby Manning. Just want to let you know that you can find the Banners Broadcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app, and every week on Celtics Blog. If you want to send us a voicemail to appear on this program, just call 978-595-1744. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up, and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Hello, everybody. Another week is here. The first week of September. I'm Bobby Manning, and this... As you know by now, is the Banners broadcast where we break down the Celtics from the perspective of Celtics blog. We do it every week here, brought to you by the site, brought to you by CLNS Media, our friends over there. We've heard contributors from over there now at this point, so we're getting the best of both worlds here on this show. And stepping away from a little bit of the conventional structure of the show for the next few weeks as training camp roars in. Some interesting stuff happened this week. It feels like we've had a busier offseason than usual, especially in the August portion. So we have a little bit to talk about there, but for the most part, we want to focus on the roster because we finally know what it is, and we are doing roster reviews on the Banners broadcast today. I'm Bobby Manning, but I'm not going to be doing it alone today. With us is... The founder of Celtics Blog with us again after his appearance on the first episode. Here he is for number nine. He's Jeff Clark. Thank you, everybody. It's good fun to be on here. It's just another uh, casual, boring weekend in, in the in the middle of the summer, right? Yeah. No. So I'm going to ask you. There was the press conference for Kyrie Irving finally getting finalized. We had the Celtics saying the trade's finally done in their press release. So that whole ordeal was finally wrapped up there. But today we had Isaiah Thomas finally breaking his silence, coming out with a very honest, emotional, and touching goodbye to Boston. He talked about how he really fell in love with the city, with the fans here, and that's never lost on him. But you could definitely sense the animosity towards Danny Ainge, towards the Celtics for how they treat him. There was a shade of that in there as well. So it was a very honest letter for for Isaiah Thomas and, of course, a guy who's going through a lot of emotion right now. What was your biggest takeaway from his Players' Tribune letter? 
Well, I think he made great pains to make sure that people knew that he wasn't mad at any one particular person. It was nobody's fault necessarily, and he even said that it was um, probably he understood the the business side behind it. But um, you know he, that doesn't mean that he's not hurt. I mean, he's hurt by the the situation and and what happened. And so I, I you know I, I agree. It was a very honest, open, um, real. Um, and emotional um, letter to the to the Boston fans, and you know it just really struck home, and it really um, hammered home the fact that he had a connection. He got Boston, and Boston seemed to get him, and there, and there's a very real bond there. And when he gets ripped away from that bond, there's obviously going to be hurt feelings. And uh, I, again, I don't think it's necessarily against the the Celtics necessarily, but um, and I think he appreciated all the kind words that Danny Ainge was saying, but he just wasn't trying to hear that right at that yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. And the phone call especially was the part that stuck out. He just kind of cut it off right after. And Ainge just came right out and said it. You've been traded. And (laughs) there was no fuss about it. He tried to do a little, you know, thank you for everything after. But Isaiah just cut him right off. I also thought the thing that was interesting in there was they talked about, you know, building something here. Building that identity. Building that team chemistry. Coming from a team that looked poised for the lottery. And they pretty much said, you know, we don't care about the lottery. We're going for this. And that, that was that transit. That's not exactly what he said. But, uh, well, I know what he said. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say that on here. Yeah. Bleep, bleep the, the lottery, right? So, <laughs> Something like that. I mean, that that's so Boston, though. You know, yeah. I, you know, I joke about that, but that's that's such the Boston attitude. It's like, you know, bleep you. This is this is our way, and this is what we're doing. And even today, I saw some people on Twitter saying, oh, yeah, if they hadn't made the, uh, if they hadn't made the lottery that or made the playoffs that year, they would have gotten a higher draft pick maybe they could have gotten uh, miles or someone else like that but to me i'm like you know what the experience you got playing in the playoffs the experience you got you know getting in there and making uh, making some noise in the playoff maybe not you know yes they got swept by the Cavs, but you know you started developing a little bit of rivalry there you started to, to make a name for themselves and you know brad stevens got his feet wet don't forget that he had never been in the playoffs before either and so it was good a good experience for them to get in there and say hey we're, we're a real team we're you know we're moving in the right direction and and hey I, I don't think if they had made the hadn't made the playoffs that year i'm not sure if um you know al horford play, takes them seriously the next year and yeah. things like that. so it all builds upon itself um I, i'll get into this with the al horford stuff later but like he he's now like the old the old head in the in the in the area that came first but you got, you can't forget that who came before was isaiah thomas he started it all so the new centerpiece of the team now in Isaiah Thomas's absence, it's deserving, of course, but the guy they really courted, the guy they brought in to be the guy here, feels like, is Gordon Hayward. Kyrie was even pumping him up at the press conference. It looks like he's going to be a focal point on this offense one way or another. They're going to be trying to feed him shots feed him the offensive production, and he is more than capable, more than able, it seems like. You look at his numbers in Utah, and they, they're great, but looking at the Utah team, the way they approach the game, a low pace of offense, low amount of possessions, the amount of efficiency and offensive production he was able to put up with such a low amount of shots, with such a low amount of possessions, really blew my mind. And watching him take advantage of some of these situations, especially against the Clippers in that first round, he just looks like a player tailor-made for this offense. He can really create. He can create for himself, spot up. He just has it all in his offensive repertoire. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting to see both Kyrie and Gordon coming over from different offenses and how they're going to how they're going to fit into this new well not new but this Brad Stevens led offense and a lot of what they did in those other offenses was because of the personnel that they had like you know the you know the, the Jazz didn't necessarily have a running gun team so they yeah. slowed it down and they played good defense the the Cavs have you know LeBron James who is the best point power forward in the game and so of course they're going to run everything through him um how those two guys shift from those environments into this brad stevens offense it's going to be interesting especially when you consider that hey i'm not even necessarily 100 percent sure what the brad stevens offense is going to be mm-hmm. now that he has a completely different roster you know it's not necessarily going to be everybody share share and share like and get isaiah thomas open anymore now it's going to be oh gordon takes his turn oh, irving takes his turn not necessarily iso ball but it's going to be you're going to see some elements of iso ball involved as well yes he's going to want to move the ball he's going to want to share the ball and and get things moving uh, and i think that is a, a particular brad you know offense characteristic but at the same time he's not gonna you know totally do away with with the the excellent one-on-one skills that uh, Kyrie irving has that's obviously an option that he can go with and to a lesser extent same thing goes for jason tatum so he's going to utilize everybody's strengths try to minimize their weaknesses and um and move forward that way i like that point because because as we've seen with players here, and on Twitter it's been talked about, whether it was Evan Turner, whether it was Jared Sullinger, maybe guys who didn't fit perfectly within this pace and space offense they had, Brad just kind of let these guys be themselves. Smart for that matter, too. I mean, think of how many tendencies he has that you think would drive a coach crazy. But he sees strengths in certain aspects of his game, so he kind of takes the good with the bad there and lets him be himself. And I think what's cool about Hayward, too, is that they're going to be able to layer possessions on this offense when it comes to ball handlers. We saw that last year, and it seems yeah. even more evident now because the guy can handle the ball. I mean, he was running pick and rolls for Utah. He's a very yeah. adept passer. He uses the screens a ton to set himself up, to set others up. So he's going to be another option they have for possessions, whether it's Horford, whether it's him, Smart, uh, yeah. Irving himself, like they, they have almost like five primary ball handlers on this team, with Hayward being among them. And they'll have an option of, you know, staggering the, the stars throughout the, the the lineup as well. I mean, last year it was Isaiah Thomas or Bust, and, and that worked for a lot of times. Um, but this, you know, this year they'll have uh, Kyrie and, and Gordon, and maybe you'll have Gordon with the second unit, in which case he can take on some of the ball-handing responsibilities and let Marcus Smart do his thing. So um, it's going to be, you know, there, there's always going to be someone out there that, that Brad can rely upon to get him some buckets and, and to, to keep the offense moving in a, in a positive direction without sacrificing too much on defense hopefully you said earlier there's going to be that thing of Irving getting his for a moment Hayward getting his for a moment are you concerned sometimes are you concerned at all that Hayward might just not be able to get enough because one of the things that excited me about him coming here is he's going to ramp up his attempts even more you know be able to become an even higher caliber player because if we're talking about beating the Cavaliers this year possibly I think you're going to have to see Hayward take another leap. What's interesting with him is he's taken a scoring leap each of the last six years, only player in the league to do that. And what excited me most about him coming here is the possibility of him taking that seventh leap. And then at that point, you're talking about him as maybe one of the very best scorers in the game. Now Irving's here too, and you've got to manage his shots as well. There's going to be a balance there. There's almost that thing of you know whose team is it when it comes to the offense. 
Well, I mean, frankly, I don't care, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's it's a, it's a team game and it's and it's a team effort. And I think if if you're worried about you know getting Gordon Hayward into the the, the top scores in the league, maybe you've got the, the the wrong priorities, you know, because we 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 got to make sure that the team is winning, and that means um, it, it, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a your turn, my turn type of thing. I think it's going to be, hey, you're hot, let's let's feed you the ball a little bit more. Uh, even on the even on the teams that did have two high volume scores, like you know Westbrook and. Durant, let's say, and, and I'm not comparing these guys to those guys, but at yeah. the same time, it's an example to say, you know, the, both those guys got their shots, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and so there's going to be plenty of shots to go around, especially if we, if they are doing the pace and space and, and moving the ball around. And, you know, I really, I, I see Gordon Hayward's real value in his versatility, all the different things that he does well. Uh, yes, he's a good scorer, and we're going to take advantage of that, and certainly it's going to be a release valve for Kyrie Irving, um, but at the same time, he can he can also pass well. He can, he can move without the ball well he can set good screens he can play good defense like you're not losing anything by having him on the court and if anything i think you've also got you know this blessing of al horford who is you know the the, the quote-unquote superstar role player you know and he's the kind of guy who who also sets the good screens who who passes well from the, from the high post he's you know he can stretch it out to three-point land and he's just you know he sees the game and he makes the right reads and it's it's to me it's similar to the to the you know a toned down role of, of Kevin Garnett's role in on the, in the last big three era so he, he does a little bit of everything and he kind of makes the makes the the engine hum even if you know the, the scoring and the, and the and the glory points are coming from you know other positions yeah defense is something I really looked into on him too because with a guy like that making that much money, you want him to be impacting both sides of the floor. And what surprised me about him is he's he's a pretty capable defender, and it comes with his length, I feel like. like On a lot of the possessions, he was contesting shots with that length, using it to his advantage. And he's put on weight over the years, too. I mean, you watch his first year, kind of yeah. a very skinny guy, and now he's one of the bigger guys on the court when you look at him muscle wise like he has really made a concerted effort to put some size onto himself so that's very optimistic too i'd say so there's a lot to love about him especially the efficiency when he gets his shots he's gonna put him in at a pretty decent rate i mean even on closely contested shots he was putting in threes at a 30 percent clip which i thought was impressive too so that's yep what's awesome about Hayward he's going to be versatile too being able to play a couple different positions which of course Stevens loves another guy who's hopefully going to be able to do that in a bench role this year just like last year we had a top three pick coming in and being part of the bench effort it looks like that's going to be the case again with a guy I love to talk about and Jason Tatum right out of Duke and Danny was going to make this guy his number one pick it seemed like until he traded back got another pick and pick this guy up as well. And it didn't seem like he saw a big difference among those top three guys, so value it is. <laughs> yeah. When Danny gets his his, uh, his evaluations in, he trusts those evaluations, and he don't care what everybody else says. Yeah. That's a, you know, for, for better or worse, that, that we're rolling with that, and that, that's pretty cool um, from that perspective. On the, on the other hand, um, you know, he's going to, he's going to be a rookie. He's rookies make rookie mistakes. And I'd say his, his offense is probably as NBA ready as man, anybody I've seen in the last few years. Um, but you know, he's got to learn how to play defense. He's got to be in the right positions. Uh, and I think he is going to work hard on that. Uh, I'm, I don't know what his, his limits are in that, but because I haven't done extensive research into, into his defense, but you know, he, he obviously feels the game on offense really well. And so, um, it, it's kind of funny when, you know, 
yes, he's going to have to earn his time as a rookie, but at the same time, Danny Ainge has stacked the end of the bench with all other rookies, so it's kind of like pick your poison. Yeah. Um, you're going to go with the most talented rookie um, out of the bunch, uh, and I do think he's going to be in, in the main you know rotation early on. It's just going to be um, I, even you saw with you know Jalen Brown last year, and Jalen Brown is, has a, a much better track record in terms of defense, but you know there were times when he would take a you know play a game or, or sorry a, a possession or two and and Stevens would just yank him because he wasn't in the right place so you could see the same thing happen to Jason Tatum yeah and it's interesting too because there's definitely a scoring hole in the bench they have to fill like we kind of took advantage of how capable of a scorer was uh, Kelly Olynyk was in that role and he'd give sure. you those 10 15 points a night you know sometimes he'd have his off nights sometimes he'd have his bigger nights like of course game seven but <laughs> He was definitely the capable scorer on that end, so they're going to need someone to fill that role. Of course, you don't look at Tatum and Olenek as similar players, but it's a hole that needs to be filled. When these starters come off the floor, they need someone to fill the score sheet, and he has the tools to do it, which is extremely impressive. His offensive footwork, his shooting ability, his ability to make hard shots. We saw that in the summer league, some of the fadeaways he was taking and nailing like it was a good shot for him, which... When a guy can do that, you definitely see something special there. Um, yeah. I, th- I think there's room for him to put more weight on. But for rookies now, coming out at 19, these guys are very skinny for the most yeah. part. And he, for among that class, he seems like he's one of the bigger built guys. Like Physically, he just looks ready to battle in this league. Skill-wise, he looks ready. So against these second units, he might end up being a very important part of the team and taking advantage with the skills he already has. Yeah, and he's also long too, and and I think one of his perhaps his, his greatest attribute is his you know fearlessness. He's gonna be he's gonna not be afraid to take that shot, and that's kind of you know the 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 role that Gerald Green played on the the team last year. You know sometimes the offense started bogging down, and and Stevens could you know insert Gerald Green and know that he's gonna put up some shots, and he's gonna create offensive looks at the basket that would maybe trigger something else to happen, something else positive to happen. So um, Jason's gonna go out there. He's going to take his shots and he's going to make things happen. So, um, yeah, I think that that willingness and that that you know kind of aggressiveness is is a skill that you know is sometimes undersold. A lot of people who weren't sold on him seem to say so because of the way he approaches the game. It's very slow. It's very methodical. Uh, Post ups were a big part of his college game. Um, isolations were a massive part of his college games, and he fared extremely well. He was 80th, 90th percentile among college players in those areas. But it kind of goes in contrast against the way the Celtics like to play, you know, move the ball, pace and space. And he can hit that three-pointer, but in general, he just seemed to kind of approach the game at the college level in a way that's different from how the Celtics as a team approach the game. Is that a concern for you at all? Do you think he's going to have to make some adjustments? Or do you think, like we said with some of the other guys, Stevens is going to try to suit him best to how he's comfortable? You know, I, I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. I, I, it is a concern, so I don't want him to be, you know, taking ISO shots when there's, you know, 15, 20 seconds left on the clock. But on the other hand, you know, Stevens likes to do, I mean, his whole the whole idea of the read and react offense is that, you know, you go through your progressions. It's kind of like a quarterback checking down the different options. And so you, you look at what the defense is giving, you go down one option, you set a pick, see if that breaks something open, you see if they go under the screen or over the screen, in which case you make a decision off of that. And then if they, if they 
they take away one option and a second option and a third option, then hey, at the you know you're you're relying on a kick out long you know three pointer hopefully might might be contested three pointer, which is not a great shot. I mean, yes, you want to shoot threes, but you want to shoot open threes. If you get to you know seven seconds left on the shot clock and all your options are out, it's actually really awesome to have a guy like Jason Tatum or, or Kyrie Irving that can say, you know what, forget it. Get out of my way. I'm going to break my man down and get at least a decent shot off here. So I, I think that there's there's definitely room for uh, for Jason Tatum and and I and Irving to to grow their their game in terms of the the, the passing and the ball movement. But there's also definitely room within Stevens's offense to take advantage of somebody who can create their own shot. And there's always room for a guy who can make shots. At the end of these games, if they're going to need offense, he might be able to carve himself a little bit of a role in the lineups down the stretch because. There's no positions here, but if there is a position he seems to fill that there might be a little bit of an area of need, it's that small ball four. And he seems to be a prototypical small ball four with his length, with his size and quickness, with his feet. It just seems like he fits right into that area where we saw Jay Crowder play a lot last year. And I think one of the undervalued aspects of his game is he's a power rebounder. I saw him play here at Syracuse. He had 16 rebounds in that game, I think. So he chases the boards. He's got good fundamentals in that area, which, of course, is a big area in need for the Celtics, too. So he brings a strength to a lot of the areas that they've been missing over the years, which is exciting because he's part of the future. And if he really hones in on those skills, it's going to be exciting to be, see him be a centerpiece on this team, excelling in those areas. Yeah, and, and I'd say Gordon Hayward is an underrated uh, rebounder as well. So you've got a couple of guys from the not not traditional rebounding areas, you know, stepping up and, and getting some boards, and which may take a little bit of the the pressure off of guys like you know Aaron Baines and, and Al Horford to to be primary rebounders in that in this in this defense. Hey, Banners broadcast listeners. Football season's underway. Week one, we already got it going. Patriots, Chiefs, the Sunday games are coming in. So if you haven't drafted a team for a season-long fantasy football, you are missing out. But there's an alternative, and it's a good one at that because players have gone down injured at this point. Julian Edelman's out. Chiefs defense took a hit with Eric Berry going down. So all those things are going to affect that team you drafted. Your season might be off the rails one week in, but that is not the case with FanDuel. It's fantasy football for everyday fans. And the best thing about FanDuel is every single week, new contests are going on. So there's no such thing as a busted season. And there are tens of thousands of challenges that you can get into every week. Some of them start at just $1. All you got to do is pick a contest, choose a team, and watch your score in real time. It's a great experience. It just makes every game, every week matter. If your team's out of the race, you're still going to have interest in watching these games thanks to FanDuel. So for this week, I was loving Mike Evans week one. That game got canceled, so now I'm banking on Martavius Bryant to take home the points for me this week. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be doing a listener league as well for the whole CLNS network. I'll tweet that link out for you, at Real Bob Manning, of course. So if you want to sign up for FanDuel, play against me, even just get the experience for yourself, you're going to have no risk in doing so. All you got to do is go to FanDuel.com and click join now. Use my code BANNERS18 and you're going to be trying FanDuel for free. That's no deposit. 
FanDuel.com to claim your free contest and play for a share of $10,000. That's Banner18, FanDuel.com, promo code Banner18, void where prohibited. Try it out today, everybody. So Aaron Baines is here on the mid-level exception, uh, one of the more minor signings of the offseason. I mean, he got a press conference. I was, I was looking up YouTube videos, and I didn't even realize he got a press conference. <laughs> yeah, he showed up in Boston. He was like, hey, I need a good barbecue place around here. <laughs> it was just so hard to notice with everything else that's been going on. With the empty roster spot, who knows if it's even done at this point with the no. roster moves. So Baines is here, and I kind of view him as the new Amir. Johnson. He doesn't have the three-point shot, but he's 6'10", just like Johnson was. He's a strong rebounder, defensive, gritty player, just like Johnson was. So it feels like as Johnson broke down and departed, they're kind of bringing him in here to fill that role. You know, the 10, 16 minutes to start the game, periods throughout when they need some energy, size, rebounding at that center spot. I think he's going to have a starting job on this team, and of course they're going to move away from him fast like they did with Johnson probably from smaller lineups, more versatile lineups. But yeah. I definitely think he kind of fills a hole they lost with Johnson walking out the door. I mean, it's possible that he'll start. It's also possible they'll start Al Horford and, and bring you know Baines in situationally against other guys. You know, I think what Baines gives them is the the opportunity or the the ability to go up against a say a bruising center, a, yeah. a, a, a Demarcus Cousins, if you will. You know, if you're if you're truly going all small ball and and you know. Um, skill positions and 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 things of that nature, then you you are you know you leave yourself vulnerable to to a big banger you know taking advantage of you down low. I, I know and I think Okafor has taken advantage of this in the past. Uh, Greg Greg Monroe has taken Greg advantage Monroe, of this. Yep. Yeah, Drummond. but just having some guy that can get out there and bang with them that's that's not Marcus Smart, you know. Yeah, which uh, is which is good for Horford too because I think one of the bigger criticisms. I've had of the team is they didn't suit Horford so well last year. You know, they pushed him to play more five than he probably wanted to coming in here. I think a big part of the reason he came here is because they told him he's going to be able to play a lot of four. And, you know, you can kind of harp on that all you want, but there's legitimate reasons why Horford wouldn't want to play five at this stage. He's 6'9". He's been through injuries in the past. He's had some bad tears in his upper body that threw off a few seasons. And now he's getting into his 30s. So... For a guy who's getting up there, you want to have some size. You want to have some brute force in there to go against some of the bigger bodies in the league. There's not as many as they used to be, but Milwaukee has them. Uh, Detroit has them for sure. Some of the other teams in the East have them. The Cavaliers have them for sure. Where you got to be able to go to battle against some of these bigger guys, and he definitely provides them with that. He helps them on the boards, which they desperately need. And the numbers with him on the floor in Detroit, there weren't a whole lot of them, but... They fared well in plus minus and stuff like that. Like they were good when he was on the floor out there. The Pistons crowd seemed to really like him, and they seemed surprised that he left. Sad that he left, which is always Stan Van Gundy himself was sad that he left. So all those things are good to hear. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's all this noise that we talked about with the the Pistons bloggers in terms of the stats because you know um, the the Drummond out there he he takes he gets grabs so many rebounds that it might kind of slightly distort the rebounding averages for all the rest of the guys you know so if if um, if Baines and and Marcus Morris too are, are are boxing out and and Drummond's getting all the rebounds that's you know that's a good team effort but it, it reduces their their numbers on the on on the court um 
but you know, I, I'm not sure how much to make of that, but it's at least something. It's something in the. It's a data point to consider, I guess. So in terms of, I don't look at the numbers too much in in terms of the the role players on a, on a team like the Pistons. But you know, they're 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 obviously you know they valued him. They they he played well with other other guys in that lineup. Um, but as a whole, the lineup didn't do that great. So you know, it, it's just you know, how do they fit into the Celtics system? Just like all these other guys, you're going away from a different system and you're plugging them into this system. And again, I just keep coming back to what system do we even have? I mean, yes, yeah. I, I know the fundamentals that, that Brad Stevens preaches, but at the same time, we've got a completely overhauled roster. I don't know how it's going to look. And and I think, you know, Stevens is at this point, I, I can't tell if he's either a kid in the candy store or he's overwhelmed with, with all the different options that he has. And, and it's funny, Hayward signed to a completely different team. Bain signed to a completely different team at the time. We don't know how yeah. much foresight they had on Irving's availability, but this could have been like a complete matter of circumstance where they overhauled the roster without expecting it and there's there's going to be some consequences to that early i don't know how there can't be where they're going to have to try out different lineups and just see what works there's going to be some games where they just don't seem to find themselves there's a lot of talent here but the lineups matter especially with a team that's still searching for some defense after last year uh that struggles on the boards like they do they're gonna have to kind of mix and match these guys and see what works i think a really interesting guy in that department is going to be one of the rookies semi ojale and i don't think many of us really heard about him coming in but once we all kind of dove into what right. he was all about after they drafted him and heard Kevin O'Connor call him top 20 on his big board, our old friend Kevin. It's tough to argue that this guy could be impactful on this team big time. Like He, he just... Another college player who just seems beyond his years physically. I mean, beyond yep. Tatum's level. Some of the dunks this guy was throwing down. They have the clanging rim in college, and every time he threw down, it seems like there was a big clank. He was always <laughs> bruising guys inside. Like Watching the video on this guy was a whole lot of fun because he <laughs> plays the game with a special kind of intensity. He's always yelling out there, always chasing boards for putbacks. Like This guy just has something. It, he definitely looks like he's going to be able to play multiple positions. He can shoot the three. Like yeah. this, this guy looks like it could. They could have really had one of the big steals of the draft in the second round. Well, I think the key with him is going to be at least early on is you know. Uh, understanding his limitations, understanding what his um, what his role is going to be, and I think that they've got him geared up to be a, you know a true three and D um, kind of uh, small ball four bruiser kind of guy in, in in the vein of not replacing, but in the vein of a Jay Crowder, you know? Yeah, absolutely. He's a guy who's not going to back down from anybody. He's going to hit the boards and he's going to, you know, use his athleticism. But at the same time, he's not going to, you know, over dribble, say, or, or get involved in the pick and roll. He's going to, you know, maybe stand in the corner uh, on offense and then crash the boards uh, on both sides. And you know, I think if if he if he knows his role and he plays it well, then he's going to have a, a role in this team. And I can kind of contrast him to a a much higher draft pick, Gershon Yabusele, who is just a lot more raw. And he's a lot more skilled and perhaps you know more of a finesse player despite his girth um but you know i think he's 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 going to be you know maybe another year away from contributing big minutes maybe he'll get into the in the end of the bench but uh i think it's it's odd to say that a second rounder is going to play before you know a reasonably high first rounder but um i think that's the case here semi is just ready to contribute in his specific defined role yeah and Jay Crowder, people didn't want to hear it from me, but 
he had a he had a very important role on this team. There's a reason yeah. he started. There's a reason he played a ton of minutes. He was crucial to the three and D role, and that's really a vital yep. role for teams in the NBA today. Kevin wrote a ton about that when it came to semi, when it came to the draft in general. Like having a three and D was a luxury in the past. Now it feels like it's a necessity. And in the starting yeah. lineup, they don't really seem to have one right now like someone's gonna have to step up in that role and really seize a spot there and I, it just still feels like there's one spot open in that starting lineup a lot of people feel like it's gonna be Jalen Brown I'm starting to push more for Marcus Smart and it feels like it could vary throughout the season the lineups in general are gonna vary throughout the season and yep. I definitely think semi skill set really bodes well to him finding minutes but it's gonna be important that he finds those minutes early and takes advantage and there again, you know, Brad Stevens every year has had a habit of, you know, experimenting, you know, tinkering and, and seeing what works early on in the season. And sometimes the team struggled in part because of that inconsistency in their minutes. And so people have even griped about it before yeah. they realized that, you know, Stevens is pretty smart and knows what he's doing. Um, so I, I think... Yeah, I mean, it, it could be it could be Jalen in the starting line because it could be Marcus Morris. I, I would say in the starting line, he's yeah. kind of a not necessarily a traditional three and D guy, but he he plays defense and he plays and he can too. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's a little bit more versatile, and he can give, bring a few more things. I'm not sure how consistent he is, but you know he's he's got a role to play, and I'm not sure whether that's in the st- starting lineup or you know five minutes in or ten minutes in or what. So we'll, we'll wait and see uh, how Brad mixes and matches all these pieces. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, and it's a packed roster too. Like there almost seems to be too many guys and not enough minutes. Where I'd look at a guy like Semi and say, you know, there's so much to love there. The chiseled frame, the fancy uh, layups around the rim his ability to use contact like there's a lot i love about him but there also doesn't seem to be a lot of opportunity here for him especially now with the talent they've added you know rookies just don't have as much space to operate especially for a team like the celtics that has used as many draft picks over the last few years as they have there's a lot of young guys here above them you got brennan yeah. you got tatum you got sure. abdel nader who we'll talk about in a second in play now as well so i just hope he's able to find that opportunity early and take full advantage of it uh, i, I kind of see you know, I started writing down the list, you know, the kind of the depth chart of, of, of Brad Stevens' new uh, lineups here. And, you know, you get down to 7-8 to on that list, and you're starting to search for, like, okay, who's the next guy up here? And I really honestly think that um, at least early on and, and perhaps all year, it's going to be, you know, next guy up. Who's hot? Who's who's doing good in practice this yeah. week? Who's you know, it, It's going to be between Yabu and, and Semi and, and Nader and, and all these guys that are they're all unproven and you've seen in the past – but um, Brad Stevens has been like, you know, he'll he'll pick a, a week and he'll you know give the minutes to to this rookie or that rookie and and see how they work out. You know, for you know for a week or so there was you know we we saw them give minutes to James Young and there was other minutes that he gave to Jalen Brown and then he would cycle through to someone else. And so I, I think he sometimes will, will will reward hard work and someone who gets it and who's getting it in in, in practice. And also I think he'll probably end up you know going with matchups and, and things of that nature. So you know, if there's this if he needs a a little bit more girth obviously Baines is going to be out there but if he if he can maybe you know match up with speed and and and, and length a little bit maybe you'll see a little bit more of I mean, Jason Tatum and and, and maybe Semi Ojale so it, there's a room and a role for all of them on there and um you know we'll, we'll transition to, to Nader at this point I think he's more of a a wing and we've got a lot of depth at wing so he might be you know kind of deeper on the bench but then again hey Every year you've got injuries, whether they're small or big, and, and guys miss 10 games 
five games here or there, and, and you got to you know you got a next man up, and 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 someone's going to play a role. And we haven't even talked about Terry Rozier yet. Yeah. So it, yeah, there's a lot of guys out there. <laughs> there's a ton, and that's a good point too. I really harped on that early in the off season. Is for a team that really didn't seem to be able to rest guys in the past. There's a lot of room for rest. It seems like here. There's a lot of bodies in case injuries come up. Like this team seems to be built well to sustain some of the losses you see throughout the season. And, and, and uh, speaking about that, I was going to say too, like the the new um, training staff and the new you know dedicated regime towards you know trying to um, mix and match the, the the training and the and the um, the what do you call it the the physical um, staff you know yeah. kind of working in rest and and workouts and even the analytics and, yeah. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, manipulate the the minutes and how they rest guys and how they, you know, move forward with this new regime. It'll be interesting to see what what they do. Everything's new this year. The jerseys, the staff, <laughs> the the only constant seems like Brad and Danny at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they got good job security. You're not. They're not going away, going away anytime soon. Yeah. So uh, we'll hit on Abdel Nader real quick. I think the funny thing about Abdel Nader is how divisive of a figure he became for how minor of a draft pick he. Is. Is. Like a lot of people love what they saw out of him Free in the Nader. league, in the D league, and then he sure. kind of had this pushback against them. Like, oh, it's the D league. Right. Oh, where's he going? Like, every people shouted back hard against Nader just for saying like good things about him. I think he was uh, the D league rookie of the year this year. So, congrats for that. But the yeah. summer league too. The guy has a knack for putting the ball in the basket. That's what I've yeah. noticed. You know, there's not a ton of versatility in his game. There's not a lot of skill sets outside of his scoring ability, it seems like. But he puts his head down. He moves towards the basket. And more often than not, he puts it up and it goes in. Like, it's it's simple. <laughs> it's yeah. easy. But it looks like he's going to be a guy who can score a little bit off the bench if they ever need him to. Like, he just has a nice little floating jumper, yeah. a nice finish at the rim. Like, he, he's valuable in some way. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, there's a reason why he dropped so low in the draft is because he doesn't have, you know, tangible skills that you can look at and say, yes, that's going to develop. And, and he's not, you know, a jump out of the gym type of guy. He's not, you know, a natural um, whatever you want to call it, d- distributor or, or whatever. But, but like I said, I think there is a talent in terms of, you know, putting, like you said, putting your head down and, and creating offense and, and forcing the issue, you know, it's the kind of thing that would, I wish I could put, you know, Nader's attitude into Jalen, I'm sorry, Jeff, Jeff Green's body. You know, yeah. if he ever had that kind of attitude, he'd be an all-star. He'd be a you know, constant perennial all-star. So there, there's, there's something to be said for some guy, a guy who, who pushes the issue, makes the defense react and makes the defense make mistakes. And, you know, if he doesn't, if it doesn't work every time, that's fine. You've got other great players around you that you can you know maybe bail out towards but if you need nader to step up and and make a couple of buckets then that's not necessarily you know the worst thing in the world he, he's a guy i know again he's another guy who's not going to be afraid to you know go ahead and push it down their, their throat yeah we could create a lot of good basketball players by combining two guys together with the best <laughs> attributes true true touche <laughs> woulda coulda shoulda if i had if i had uh, antoine walker's body i'd be an, an all-star <laughs> The mind and the body. So here we go. Terry Roger, let's cap it off with Terry because 
Going into the offseason, while we were doing our little cap charts, while we were looking toward signing Hayward, I think a lot of people wrote off Terry as a guy that kind of had to go. Bradley ended up being that guy, and then a few things went a few different ways. Were they able to take back, salary, take back less salary with Morris? And I think this was one of the underrated aspects of that Bradley trade, was that they saved so much money bringing yep. back Morris that they were able to save Roger too, which is important because... I'm really going to start pushing this train towards training camp of start smart because there's an identity hole in this team now that Isaiah's gone, that Crowder's gone, that I think smart is going to be able to carry over being a part of that, the way he approaches the game. I know his creation's crucial to the bench, and it showed last year, but Terry Roger needs to step up at some point too and really jump into one of the main facilitator roles on this team. He definitely has the capabilities to do it. There's parts of his game which stick out immensely. You know, he has some great bursts to the basket. He knocked down shots off the catch last year, some big shots off the catch. There was a big one in that Washington series, too. And we talked about lineups earlier. A lot of people love that Gerald Green athletic wing lineup they created in the starting lineup through the playoffs that kind of pushed them through some of their struggles. But they kind of did a similar thing with Roger, too. And Roger did not have the greatest regular season last year, but I thought he flourished in the playoffs. And he found a role that suited him well on there, where he kind of swooped in from the wing on the box out to the bigs, grabbed rebounds off that, knocked down shots off the catch. But If they're going to push Smart to the starting lineup, which I think would help the team in a number of different ways, Roger's going to have to step up and become more of a facilitating force. You know, I think he could kick out better off the drive. I think he could have a more tight, less loose dribble. He's been prone to turn it over in that department. So there's kind of that yeah. balance of potential and holes still in Roger's game that make him a tough player to balance. The thing I keep coming back to with Terry Rogier is that, you know, he has one speed, usually has one speed. And for the first couple of years of his of his career, it's almost like he's a speedy Gonzalez full speed ahead. And I think of like a cartoon. If you ever picked him up, his feet would still be running, you know, and I but he's starting. And I feel like in the playoffs, he started to, you know, realize that, hey, if I if I just slow down just a little bit and then burst that speed, I'm going right by my guy. And yeah. it makes it a lot easier to, to create space and create separation when you do that so i think he's starting to get it starting to come come to him the the game itself is starting to slow down for him uh obviously he wasn't relied upon you know hardly at all his rookie year and and not that much this last year but just being in the system for a couple of years i mean hey he's a, he's a he's a veteran of brad stevens system at this point so he's going to be able to tell some of the younger guys what, what to do yeah he's he's probably the fourth or fifth most tenured guy on the team at this point which is crazy to well, think there's about. only four coming back so yeah, he's got to so be the, he's got to be the fourth and uh yeah i think there's definitely a level of progression where we see smart became one of the core five or six guys on the team last year and yeah. I think Terry has a chance to make that jump now, too. The first two se- regular seasons, he's kind of had his ups and downs. And it's interesting that he's had his biggest moments in the playoffs, I feel like. It feels like that's where he's been most comfortable for some reason or another. But I definitely think there's a more tangible role he could jump into on the team this year. He kind of played a mini Marcus Smart role, it feels like, where it's just kind of whatever works with him, they'll roll yeah. with. And I think it'd be cool to kind of see him take on that second unit, push the issue there. There's a lot of good stuff to work with on that second unit. And if they can push Smart up with the starters, I think it would really do well to solidify an identity there too. So it's going to take both guys to make that happen. And maybe Mm -hmm. it won't happen. Maybe Smart will continue to facilitate the bench. That's probably a more likely scenario. But 
we'll see. There's still so many questions to ask about this roster. And we're going to continue to preview it here on the Banners broadcast on Celtics blog. Thanks for helping us preview six of them today, Jeff. No problem. It was a pleasure. All right. So, of course, you can find the blog at Celtics blog, CelticsBlog.com. Uh, check out CLNS Media on the CLNS Media app. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. Give us a subscribe. Let us know what you think. We also have a voicemail, 978-595-1744, where you can make your thoughts, questions heard here on the show. It's going to be a fun season as we get this going, Jeff. And uh, we'll see you a few more times as we get into it. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's finish off the the the, the off season with two or three or four or five more trades, you know, and then, <laughs> then we'll get into it. Uh, there's Jeff Clark. I'm Bobby Manning. Nice talking to you guys today. We'll see you next week with the final round of player previews before we jump into training camp. Good night, everybody. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look. <laughs>